Hey everybody, happy Mother's Day. Joan, Risa, Amy, happy Mother's Day because I'm preaching today. I get to do a special shout out to you guys. But hey, I am so thankful that you guys are tuning in to the message today. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Um, but you know what? It's happy Mother's Day. But if we were together and if we were talking for real, I wonder how many uh, moms out there are a little bit disappointed today. I mean, this is not the Mother's Day you guys were expecting or hoping for, right? I mean, you have a good reason to be disappointed. I mean, arguably, being a mother is one of the hardest lifestyles out there. From the moment you guys wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you're doing mom things. Everything you're doing is just trying to keep these beautiful, wonderful little troll children alive. I don't know if that's just what I see in my household, but it's like everything that I see moms do, they're just trying to be the best mom possible for their kids, for their family. And today, today of all days, Mother's Day, today is the day that's supposed to be all about you. Today is the day when you get to sleep in and where you don't have to cook breakfast and you get to get uh, food in bed and cards and coffee brought to you and presents and chocolate and flowers. And there's absolutely no cooking for moms, right? You go out for brunch and for coffee and donuts maybe, or maybe in the evening you have all of the family over. And that includes the kids and the grandkids and maybe even the great grandkids, right? But the quarantine has really kind of screwed that up for us, right? And maybe you're just feeling a little sad about it. Um, a card's going to come on the screen, but I, I found this this last week and it made me laugh a little bit. It also made me a little bit sad. Like, sorry <laughs> that your mom's day got wrecked. Sorry, the mother day is a little wrecked for you. And you know what? You guys that are mothers are, are not the only ones that might be a little disappointed today. Maybe, uh, may, maybe this is Mother's Day is yet another Mother's Day that's come and gone without you being able to start your family yet. Maybe you were hoping that this relationship with a child or a spouse or somebody that you know would have been mended, but it's still broken. Maybe you haven't found that person to start a family with. And that feeling of disappointment is not just with moms today. I think that as a nation, as a, as a civilization, humans everywhere, we're grieving right now. The quarantine has affected us all. I've heard just in my position right now, I get to talk to little kids all the way up through adults. And I've heard of third, fourth, fifth graders super disappointed, just so sad, so mad what's going on because all of their school trips have been canceled. Summer camps have been canceled on them. Um, They don't get to see their friends. They're stuck inside. They're doing this e-learning. It's really difficult and just hard and frustrating. I've talked to eighth graders and seniors in high school and college that this is their last year when they should be celebrating with their friends and enjoying that time. And instead, they're cooped up, stuck at home, socially distancing from all of those people that are important to them. I've talked to people that were really hoping to go back to work this month. And that didn't happen. I've talked to people that are hoping to go back to work this month just And they just found out that their job won't ever be opening again. And now they're looking for a new job. I don't know about you, but maybe you're just bummed and a little disappointed because you thought that last month was the month we had to push through and that everything was going to get better. And then this month rolls around. Instead of better, if anything, it feels even more strict and a little bit less hopeful. I don't know, but I feel like we all 
it's pretty safe to say has probably been feeling some sort of disappointment in the last couple months. And so that's what I felt God on my heart, God put on my heart today was to talk about disappointment and how do we deal with it. So before we continue, uh, let's just pray right now and that, uh, then we'll start and get into the scripture. Father, Lord, this is not the May. This is not what we were hoping for, expecting for. But God, thank you for sustaining us. Thank you, God, for your word, holding us together, speaking timeless truth and peace into our lives. Thank you, Father, for the community at Church on the Rock, God, that has continued to be faithful through the tithe, through continuing to join, through watching, through talking on Zoom and small groups, Father, through texting, the 10 at 10, Wednesday Night Live, God, all the ways that we connect. Thank you, God, for the faithful community of people in this area that have continued to pursue you and pursue community and staying together as we've been continuing to quarantine. Lord, open the scripture to us right now. Help me to speak with clarity and to teach well. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're going to be looking at one text today. It's long, but I think it's worth reading the whole thing because I really want us to get the whole context and then we're going to go back and break it all down. So as I was thinking about disappointment, this story came to me and I was like, I don't know if that quite fits, but then I kept read through it. I read through it and I was like, oh no, this is the one. So if you can grab your Bible right now, we're going to John chapter 11. We're going to start with verse one and I'm reading out of the New, uh, Liv- uh, yeah, New Living Testament right now. John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Verse 6, 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They, brought, they thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. I love that little bit of sarcasticness right there. It's like, he's like, all right, let's go die. Okay, you said it, let's go. So verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me uh, and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into this world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here. He wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha, and Mary, where Martha had met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were withstanding by, nearby said, see how he loved him. But some said, this man, he had a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave uh, with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. And long story short, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I know that was a lot. And honestly, it's kind of an odd story, right? We have Jesus where he knows from the very beginning that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. But then Jesus gets angry, and then he cries, and then he finally raises him from the dead. And it's this just really weird, odd story, right? And it took me reading it a few times, but I think it just really speaks to disappointment and grief and pain. So that's why we pick it, and that's why we're going to talk about it. So we're going to break it down a little bit. But the very first thing that I want to highlight to you guys is the need to express your grief. The need to express your disappointment. I believe that disappointment uh, is grief. Uh, is, is masquerading around as grief. It can easily be trivialized, trivialized though and brushed aside. David Kessler, who we're going to get to in a little bit, said that um, we are the first generation that has feelings about our feelings. We feel sad, but then we feel bad for feeling sad. Like, oh man, I'm so disappointed that this happened, but I shouldn't be because other people have it worse. Or, man, I'm so mad that this happened, but you know what? Man, I just feel guilty about spending time wallowing in that. We're the first generation to do that, is what David Kessler says. And what I love here is look at Mary's example in verse 32. 11 verse 32, it says, When Mary arrived, saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we don't really get the tone of voice that she's using here. Is it rebuke? Is it wailing? Is it just crying? Is she mad, sad? We don't really know. But when I read this, I imagine her just being so overcome with sadness. Especially when you get this imagery of her running to Jesus, the comforter, the rabbi, the master, the teacher, her close friends, somebody that loved this family dearly, and just finally seeing the person that you were waiting on, the hope to raise your brother, the hope to keep him alive, and just falling down in front of him and just falling apart. 
Lord, if only you had been here. If only, God, if you had only done this for me. God, if you had only done this a little bit differently. God, if you had shown up, it would have changed. And what I love about this, when we talk about disappointment, is that Mary verbalizes, she vocalizes her feelings. And I think it's pretty obvious that not only is she disappointed, she's also grieving. So the thing is, when you feel disappointment, whether it be big or small, I really believe that you are feeling grief, either big or small. It could be something silly like, man, I was really hoping to have pizza tonight, but that pizza store closes at seven now and I missed it, right? Or it can be something really big like a relationship or healing or whatever, you fill in the blank. But whatever it is, you're feeling a little bit of grief. When this all started, and by all I mean COVID and the quarantine, um, the Harvard Business Review put out an article called That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. It's a really, really great article. But in it, they interviewed David Kessler, who wrote a book, the, the book, On Grief. And it's the On Grief and Grieving, Finding the Meaning of Grief Through the Five Stages of Loss. And our five stages of lo- loss in reference to grief kind of come from this. And I'm going to quote really quick from the article, a little section he wrote, kind of summing up all of those stages. And he says this, there's denial, which we see a lot early on, right? This virus won't affect us. Then there's anger. You're making me stay home, taking away all my activities. There's bargaining. Okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be better, right? Then there's sadness. I don't know when this is going to end. And finally, there's acceptance. This is happening and I have to figure out how to proceed. And just one thing to kind of keep in mind is that this is not a linear steps, right? You don't work your way through denial, then anger, then sadness, then blah, 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 to acceptance. This is kind of more like a roller coaster where you may experience all these things in a single day, an hour, a moment, where all of a sudden you're okay, but then you ride the wave and then you're angry and then you're sad, right? But one of the first things that he talks about is just recognizing your feelings, and not hiding them. And we have become, and we as just a generation, uh, culture, have become so good at hiding our feelings. I love that Mary just verbalizes it, throws it out there in front of everybody, falls down, just screaming and crying, saying, Lord, if you had been here, I'm so disappointed that you didn't make it in time. And a lot of times we like to trivialize it. You know, it's, it's just Mother's Day. You know, another one will come next year. You know, it, it was just a family vacation. We can, we can, we can plan it again next year. You know, it's it just a dance. It was just prom, you know, what, whatever. But instead of doing that, we need to talk about it. Instead of trivializing it, we also are great at distracting ourselves from the feelings, distracting or numbing ourselves from the pain. And that's why I think we've probably all have binge watched all of Netflix at this point. We've gained the 15, quarantine 15, and we're working on the next, right? Our screen time on our phone matches our awake time, right? And maybe you're struggling with temptations that you don't normally struggle with, like porn or other ways to distract you or numb your soul from feeling the discomfort of grief or disappointment. We've learned that we can silence our feelings by distracting our, or numbing our mind. I love how Kessler says this. He says, emotion needs motion. When you recognize your grief, your disappointment, or your pain, you take the first step to start processing and healing. Your disappointment is grief. 
your grief is pain and all three must be recognized. So the very first way to start dealing with your disappointment is to simply recognize that you are disappointed, that you are sad, that you are grieving a little bit over a loss. And now I want to go back to the text and we're going to hit something that's um, a little bit unexpected, but it kind of just jumped out to me in the last hour of working on this sermon, but it's so important. It's also a little awkward. If you go to verse 21, Jesus comes and he meets Martha before he meets Mary, right? And so Martha has a very similar response to Mary. She says this, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. And then Jesus launches not into comfort, but into this long thing about asking her if Martha believes that he's Jesus Christ, the salvation, the the one to come, the Messiah. And to me, when I read that, I had to read it a few times to catch it, though. It's like, that's a little bit odd. That's a little, like, Jesus, timing, bro. Like, what are you doing? Like, Martha, she just lost her brother. Even if you know that you're going to raise him from the dead, like, be a little sensitive. But I think that Jesus is pointing to something bigger here is that, and that thing is lordship. We serve God's agenda and not the other way around. I love Martha's extreme amount of faith here in her statement. Even as she's processing her discomfort, her grief, she's saying, Lord, if you'd been here, we'd have been alive, but I still recognize you as Lord. I love Jesus even shows him this himself later on. As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 29 says, He went a little farther, bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will done, not mine. And here's the thing. God is such a good God. God wants to bless you. God loves you. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. He promises to take care of you, to provide for you. That He was always going to be there for you. Psalms 37, 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly, but he delights in every detail of their lives. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, it was so comforting to think that I have a God that delights in every detail of my life. Yet, remember that all things are for the glory of God. So when we experience disappointment, I don't know how it will work out, but I know it can be for God's glory somehow. When we experience grief and loss, I don't know how that's going to work out, but I know that God will use it and use it for our good, Romans 8, right? And so we recognize, we vocalize our disappointment, our emotions. We also recognize Christ's lordship. And when we recognize Christ's lordship, something else comes along with that. And that's invitation. When you recognize, when you accept God saying, God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how you could possibly make something good out of this. I don't know how you could possibly, how how this could possibly ever turn out for my good. But I trust you. In that moment, you're also extending an invitation for God to enter the situation. Look at this. Verse um, 35, or 34. Lord, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Then Jesus wept. 
I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I thought that's really odd. From the beginning, Jesus has been promising and telling the messengers and his disciples and then Martha and then Mary. He's telling everybody that this, this sickness does not end in death. That Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. You're going to see something amazing. I'm basically, he's saying, I'm going to blow your mind. This guy's coming back to life. And so knowing that, why is Jesus crying? Why does Jesus break down weeping? It took me a little bit of digging and I had to open up commentary, a commentary to figure this out. But this is what I understood after I thought about this and read a little bit more on this, is that Jesus is not weeping at the loss of Lazarus. He is weeping once they invite him to come and see where Lazarus was laid. At their invitation, Jesus meets them where they are emotionally at. And I think this is exactly Romans 12 through 15. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And we see Jesus weeping with those who are weeping. And in the Greek here, Mary and Martha and the other mourners are is a different word for sadness. It's better translated as like wailing, right? They are wailing. They are really grieving the loss of somebody dear to them. But Jesus is weeping is sad. And so he matches them. He's not wailing the death of Lazarus, but he is just meeting them where they're at. And I love this picture is that God is not a far off or aloof God. When you invite God in, and it has to be an invitation, I believe. I don't remember where I heard this. It was a pastor or a counselor, I can't remember. But they said to me, God is not a forcer. He is a filler. He will not bust his way into the situation When they showed him, they said, come this way to the tomb. Jesus meets them and starts crying. When you invite Christ in, he can start filling. But he's not just going to push his way in. It requires an invitation on your part. He's not a demander, a taskmaster. He wants to be in relationship, a loving relationship with you. I once, as a child, I don't know, maybe six to eight years old. Um, it was right here in Chicago land, actually. I had an uncle and aunt that lived here, and I came to visit them. And the one uncle was a marathon runner, and he'd run marathons. And so he was participating in a marathon. And I had some other family up there at the same time, and we were supporting that uncle. And so I remember making the signs and going to, you know, stand in line and like, oh, he's going to be here. You get the cup of water and hand it to him and stuff like that. But I remember this really odd thing as I'm standing uh, in the crowd with my other uncle and aunt and cousins and we're waiting for my one uncle who's actually running to come up and pass us. I remember him said, hey, Lisa, hold my stuff. I really want to run with Kevin this next mile. I'm like, that's really weird to me. Like, that didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. But now as I think about it, I think that's so cool that that uncle would go and actually run and support my Uncle Kevin who was running that marathon in that leg of the race. And when I think about God in this situation, that's the picture I get. It's not a God who's standing at the end of the line saying, this is how it works out. Stop being sad. It's going to be okay. This is all the good thing that's happened. Instead, You see a God that says, I want to join you on this leg of the race. And I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to rejoice with you. Even though I know how this ends. Even though I know that the end is good. Even though I know that all things work for the glory of God. And I'm going to work all things good for those who believe. Even though he knows, he wants to walk with us in the process. How incredibly encouraging. We recognize our grief. 
Invite God and your community in while recognizing God's authority in the situation. But lastly, friends, there's one more thing that I really would encourage you in is that to not lose your hope. It's so easy. I've been hearing this a lot recently. Within the last two weeks, I feel like we've been hitting um, as a community or as a group, I don't know, but I've been hearing this through a lot of different sources. We've been hitting a wall. And where people say, oh, man, I just don't have motivation to get out of bed. I just want to lay down. I don't, I, I'm f- fatigued out on Zoom. I don't want to get on more online meetings. I just want to go out and be in the sun and be with people and go to a restaurant or go shopping or have a party or play football or whatever. We're getting fatigued and we're hitting a wall. As things seem like they're getting tighter and closing in more, I've heard people are starting to question what's happening, not even in the next month, but next school year or even later than that. Anxiety is when we worry about the unseen future. But I believe that hope is trusting a God about an unseen future. Instead of worrying about the future, we trust that God has it and that he will bring a good thing about. Look at... um, Look at Jesus' very opening statement. In verse 4, he says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God would receive glory from this. I just can't imagine seeing it from Mary and Martha's perspective that I bet things seemed really, really hopeless. Seemed really, really lost. But going back to Martha's faithful response of when Jesus asked her that blunt Piercing question, Martha, do you believe I am who I say I am? Pain is going to rock you. Every time you feel a disappointment and then you feel grief, and then when you experience that grief, you let the pain allow to penetrate your heart so you can start processing and dealing with it. You're going to feel the pain. The pain will bring out who you are and what you believe. In your pain, you're going to know if you believe that God's a good God, or if he's against you. In your pain, you're going to know if you really believe if God's an authority or the world's an authority. In your pain, you're going to believe if you really believe that God is for you or against you. And friends, I love Martha's response of faith. Like I said earlier, it's an extreme declaration of faith saying, no, Lord, I do believe, even in a time of significant loss and pain. Friends, do not lose your hope. A practical thing you can do is simply to just remind yourself of truth. Remind yourself of truth in the practical. I have enough food in the pantry for this next week. I have friends that love me. Even though I can't go hug them, I can talk to them on the phone. I will find a job. There is multiple things. I have a skill set. I believe that we will eventually go back to school. I believe that this quarantine will end at some point. Remind yourself of the practical and then also remind yourself of the spiritual. I don't know what promises God has worked in your life or spoken to you or has uh, given you over the years, but start speaking those into truth. I would tell you to just start preaching to yourself this week. What are the things that God has given you over the last three couple of years that have not come about? Remind yourself that God is not a liar. That God will come to pass. That he's good for his word. Amy and I had a sign hanging over our... um, hanging over our couch for, for over three years of a promise that God gave us that took over three years to complete. 
And every time I would get really hopeless or disappointed in the process, I would look at the sign and be like, I'm trusting God to his word today. You know, honestly, there wasn't. Not every time, not every time I did that. Sometimes I allowed frustration to cloud my thoughts and my emotions. But that sign served as a reminder to just see it above my couch and to say, no, this is God's word and I'm holding on to it. Guys, I want to share one last thing for you guys before we wrap up today's sermon. There's one more odd thing in this story that I don't know if it stuck out to you or if you thought I was going to get to it, but I want to go back to it. Verse 38 says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. And a few verses before that, it says that Jesus felt a deep welling of anger inside of him and his spirit was deeply troubled. And I thought that was, that's really odd. Why is Jesus getting so angry in this situation? Was it because people were not trusting him, even though he said Lazarus was going to rise? Was it because people should just know that he is Jesus and God and he has the power to control this situation? But I don't think that's quite it. And the commentary, again, really helped here. Is, but according to the commentary and thinking about it a little bit more, I believe that Jesus is actually not angry at a person, but at death here. And when I read that, it made sense to me because Jesus dies, but then rises again in victory over what? Death. And so Jesus is angry at the situation. He's angry at the pain it's causing in his friends. He's angry at, the, uh, at Mary and Martha being disappointed and sad and wailing. He's frustrated and a deep anger settles in him and his spirit is deeply troubled. And I love seeing this emotional God, this emotional Jesus sitting into the situation and weeping with us and getting angry about the situation. And then it all coming to front and saying, roll stone aside and Lazarus, come out. I wish I could have been there to see in that moment when Jesus expresses all of that emotion from the crying to the sadness, to the stress, to the anger that's welling inside of him and projects it out. And Lazarus comes out. I wrote this thought down in my Bible, I don't know how long ago, but apparently I had read through this story and I wrote something down in the margins and it spoke to me this weekend. I wrote this, I wonder how many situations, I wonder how many scenarios or impossible things, relationships, people I've been working with, things I've been trusting God for, I've looked at and said, this is dead. But all the time, Jesus was just waiting to say, wake up, come out. And speak life into it. Friends, as you're experiencing your disappointment, I would encourage you, just as a quick recap, vocalize and express your feelings. Recognize God's authority in the situation. Invite God into the situation and your community. I refuse to be isolated. Social distance, but refuse to be isolated just to binge watch or numb yourself into oblivion. Invite your community in to be with you. And lastly, don't lose your hope. You serve a God that is walking with you in this journey. And not only that, has risen in victory over death. And he's an emotional God. He's feeling what you're feeling. He is with you as you feel sad. He rejoices with you when you rejoice. And he's getting angry at Satan, at death 
at the things that are frustrating and causing you pain. Friends, I love you. I wish you were here right now that I could just give you a hug or look in your eye and tell you it's all going to be good. But let's just end with a quick prayer as we end today's service. Father, thank you, God, for your people and this word. Lord, even right now, Father, even with this message being recorded days away and us not being live, God, right now, Father, I believe that you can be working your spirit. Lord, I pray for the discomforted hearts, God, right now, for the people that are discouraged and lacking hope, lacking motivation, just want to sit in bed, watch TV, play video games, just wait this thing out, God. I pray that you would start speaking life into their situations, Father. Lord, I pray that you would just be encouraging right now, God. Holy Spirit, come through our house like a wind, Father, and wipe and take everything, God, negative of the enemy out, Father, and may your peace enter in instead. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Friends, we will catch you next week right here again.